Our scripture for today comes from Mark chapter 8. I'll be reading verses 31 through 38. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So some of you are old enough to remember the 1986 movie, The Money Pit. In this movie starring Tom Hanks, who is Walter Fielding, and Shelley Long, who's Anna Crowley, Walter and Anna are a young couple, and they purchase this large country estate outside of the big city at a price that's too good to be true. So as soon as they buy the house, it immediately starts to fall apart. The entire front door frame falls off the front of the house. The main staircase collapses. The plumbing is full of gunk. The electrical system catches fire. At one point, their bathtub falls through the floor. The chimney collapses. They just have problem after problem after problem, expense after expense after expense coming up with this house. And it starts to overwhelm them. So if we're honest, life can feel this way sometimes, especially in the past year. Like it's all just too much. And it's important for us to remember that just because you or I are Christians, it doesn't mean that we never feel overwhelmed or that we never experience difficult times. In fact, following Christ and allowing Christ to renovate our lives is intense and expensive work. Following Jesus is not some kind of magic wand or cure-all for life's problems. If we're being really honest, we sort of want the magic wand, right? We want God's renovating work in our lives to be as easy and on budget as it looks on all those home renovation TV shows. So first today, we need to acknowledge a prominent, real-deal theology in our world today, the prosperity gospel, 
which is this idea, this teaching that God will bless you with health and wealth if you give enough money, think enough positive thoughts, and are faithful enough. And to be really blunt, that idea, that theology or way of thinking about God is disproven by what Jesus says in our passage today. Our faith, our thinking, our money do not earn us anything from God. And Jesus does not promise us health or wealth or any of the other stuff we can get sort of fixated on in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. So I'm not going to stand here today and tell you that Christ's renovating work in your life will result in health or wealth or shiny perfect things. So you may not consider yourself a prosperity gospel kind of person, but you do hope or expect a little bit to have some measure of peace, stability, and success in your life. You hope for relationships that are healthy, for a few people you can count on. You'd like to feel loved and good enough every once in a while. You'd like to feel like you have a handle on your life, that you can make some kind of positive impact in this world. So you may not expect Jesus to give you health or wealth, but if you're like me or anybody else, you do hope for love and peace and connection and some kind of progress. So the tough thing about Jesus and about following Jesus is that we aren't promised any of these things. So that's the first thing that needs to be said today about the cost of renovation. It means giving up your demands, illusions, and expectations about God's work in your life. And that's not easy, is it? This is what, Pe what Jesus says to Peter in our text today and to the other disciples. They come to Jesus with a certain set of hopes and expectations and mistaken ideas about Jesus' ministry and what Jesus is about. And to be fair to Peter and the disciples, Jesus says plainly to them that he is the Messiah. Peter says out loud to Jesus that he believes Jesus is the Messiah just before today's verses in Mark chapter 8. So they know that Jesus is the Messiah, but Messiah is a loaded word in the time of Jesus. There are all kinds of expectations and hopes that are tied up in the word Messiah. So most of the people who follow Jesus associated the word, the title, the identity of Messiah with kingship, victory, and might. People expected the Messiah to be a military and political victor, conquering Israel's conquerors. On Palm Sunday, a few weeks from now in the season of Lent, just before Easter, we'll remember Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem right before his death. And this moment in scripture is really the height 
of messianic expectation that Jesus would be a political and military victor on behalf of God's people. King, mighty, victorious. So when Peter pulls Jesus aside to give him a talking to about what the Messiah's job is, Peter has good reason for doing so. And sometimes we kind of want to do the same thing, don't we? We have all kinds of expectations and hopes and mistaken ideas about the kind of renovating work we expect God to do in our lives and in the world. So what Jesus does for the disciples in today's passage is tell them what he will tell them a hundred more times. He is not a king, a victor, or a mighty Messiah. He will die a criminal's death. He will walk the path of suffering. He will not experience peace, stability, success, health, wealth, secure relationships, or upward mobility. Jesus tells them that his ministry is the cross. And he tries to help them understand that the cross is their ministry too. And just like us, it's hard for them to see it. It's hard for them to accept it. So in this passage, Jesus tries to help the disciples, to help us understand that suffering, humiliation, heartache, and overwhelm do not mean that Jesus is missing the mark. It does not mean the disciples are missing the mark when they experience these things. And it does not mean that we are missing the mark when we experience them. This is hard for the disciples to hear and it's hard for us to hear, but it's the truth about the cost of God's renovating work in us. It gets messy before it gets better. Sometimes it feels like a train wreck, like we are in totally over our heads, like Walter and Anna in the money pit. And usually in the midst of that suffering and that tough stuff and that experience of overwhelm, that's right about the time that we start getting it. That's right about the time that the real work is happening. So in today's passage, Jesus offers the disciples and us the framework, the blueprint, the game plan. Anyone who wants to follow me needs to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me, Jesus says. Deny, take up your cross, follow me. This is probably not the three-step plan to achieve health and wealth that we're imagining, is it? So next, Jesus unpacks what he means by deny yourself. Anyone who wants to save their life, Jesus says, will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. 
There are three Greek words for the one English word, life. In the New Testament Greek, there is bios, life, biology, the physical body. There is suke, life, which is the interior life, the mind, the emotions, the will, the soul. This is where the word psychology comes from. And then there is zoe, life, which is divine life, the life that comes from God, the highest form of physical, mental, or spiritual life. So in 1 Timothy 6, when it talks about the life that really is life, right, which is the the life that God wants for us, it's talking about Zoe life, the life that God desires to create in all of us in our interior and exterior worlds. So Jesus today, in our passage, talks about suke life, interior life, the mind, the emotion, the will, and the soul. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples and telling us that we must disown, give up, deny, release. So if a person wants to save or experience healing and wholeness in their interior life, that person must release it. Lay it down. Pick up their cross and follow Jesus. So the third thing that needs to be said about the cost of God's renovating work in our interior life is that The things in our lives that are our places of struggle are usually the places that lead to transformation, to renovation. They are your cross. In the same way that the cross was Jesus' ministry, the cross is yours. And I want you to notice what Jesus invites you to do with your place of struggle, hurt, failure, pain, with your cross. He doesn't invite you to avoid it and neglect it. He doesn't invite you to save up enough money so you can buy a different one or get somebody else to carry it for you. He doesn't wave a magic wand and remove it from you. Carrying your cross, relinquishing those tough things and places and thoughts and feelings and struggles to God, that is the cost of God's renovating work. The last and I think probably the most important thing that needs to be said about God's, about the cost of God's renovating work in our lives is that Jesus is not asking you to pay anything he hasn't paid. Jesus is not asking you to go anywhere he hasn't been. He is not asking you to do anything he hasn't done or endure anything that he hasn't endured. So when Jesus in the Gospel of Mark tells us to release our suke our interior life, 
we can remember Jesus' words in John 10, verse 17, when Jesus says, For this reason God loves me, because I lay down my suke, my life, in order to take it up again. This is so important because this is what God does. This is how God is right there with us in the middle of all of it. This command is not authoritarian or from on high, far away from us. It is incarnational. Jesus bears the cost with us. In the Protestant tradition, we have crosses in our churches, but we don't often see crucifixes, which is the cross that depicts Jesus dying on it. You might notice in many Catholic churches or in Catholic hospitals or Catholic homes, there are crucifixes. This is something, honestly, that I treasure about the Catholic tradition. My dad is Catholic, and so I grew up going to Mass when I visited him. And there is something that sticks with me to this day about the crucifix that you can see here in the front of St. Basil's Church, which is my dad's church. And it's such a beautiful room. You can see it's not the best picture, but... You can see this image of the crucifix at the front of their church. When I see it there in that church, and then when I see it in other places, it reminds me that any cross I am carrying is one that Jesus can identify with because he carries the cross too. So anything I'm struggling to work through to release any kinds of thoughts or feelings I'm trying to lay down or work through. Jesus has done it and is doing it too. Jesus was a carpenter, right? And I wonder if right now you could imagine with me today going with Jesus to his shop. All of us going together and working throughout the afternoon in Jesus' shop on our crosses. Cutting them, sanding them, putting them together. Some kind of physical reminder of what it is you are being invited to carry. Naming it, owning it, looking around the shop and seeing that every single one of us has one. We have crosses here inside our sanctuary and in our buildings, but what if we had our own crosses that we took with us that we carry as a, a physical reminder of what Jesus calls us to do. I think these words by Paul Shoup are right on point. Perhaps what we need is a multitude of crosses 
one for each of us at the back door of our sanctuaries to be taken up as we return to the world of home and family, work and commerce, service and play, symbols of the call to discipleship that we have heard and accept anew. Friend, only you and God truly understand what part of your life you need to lay down, release. What cross is yours to carry? What it looks like for you to sacrificially follow Christ. Only you and God truly know that. It is deeply personal. Whatever that is, whatever that renovating work is that God is up to in your life, I can tell you this. It will result in you becoming more like Jesus, not just on the outside, but also on the inside. In your mind, your feelings, your will, and your soul. So it will not just be about your exterior life, it will be some renovating work going on in your interior life. Cultivating that part of your life to be more like the interior life of Christ himself. And I want you to hear today that if you're in that fragile place, right? Like there's so much about life in this last year that has felt fragile. It doesn't mean that you're in the wrong place. I love the way that Kate Bowler says it. She says, our lives are built with such delicate material. And it doesn't take a lot to topple the whole thing over. So hear Jesus' words anew today. Him calling you to deny yourself, to decenter yourself and center God in your interior life, to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. Listen for how God is moving and working in you, forming you and shaping you on the inside to be more like Jesus, to be more loving, the kind of person who thinks and feels and acts like Jesus. I mentioned earlier in the service today that each Sunday during the season of Lent, we will be offering a different spiritual practice. And we encourage you throughout the week as you're able to use these practices. The practice we're offering today is called writing a letter to God. And I want to invite you to do that this week. You can find more information about that on our website, on our social media, and also on our worship guide that's posted with our service. In this letter, what you're invited to do is to envision with God your life. What is a good and beautiful life as lived by you in partnership with God? So the invitation this week with the spiritual practice is to sit down and start your letter. Dear God, the life I want most for myself is. I invite you in that space to allow yourself to be completely and fully and truly honest with God and with yourself. 
to begin listening to your life, what it is saying to you, and listening for the renovating work that God is interested in doing in you. Please pray with me. Jesus, these words are challenging. They're hard. And sometimes we struggle to know exactly what it means. So today I pray that you would speak to each person who is participating in this service. In their heart. Help them to know what it is you are calling them to release, to deny, to lay down. And give them the strength to pick up their cross, whatever those tough places are, to go through them and to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.